Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to Phil's Recap and Review. This is for Only Murders in the Building, Season 1, Episode 4, The Sting. And this episode is all about did Sting do the murder? It's it's somewhat about that. I mean, I think going into this episode, spoiler alert, here we go, right away. Spoiler alert for everything, Only Murders in the Building, up to Episode 4. Uh, I guess, quick non-spoiler if you're just curious. Episode 4 keeps up the pressure and keeps up the attention and keeps up the energy that the first three episodes do and I would say episode four is maybe even my favorite of all of the episodes because there's a lot of focus on Steve Martin's character not that he isn't focused on in other other episodes the first three episodes each one of the three don't have their own individual focus moments but I feel like in this episode specifically it's very Steve Martin-centric in the way that episode 2 was Selena Gomez-centric and episode 3 was a little bit more Martin Short-centric. Uh, the first couple of episodes, we got a lot of pairings off between Steve Martin and Selena Gomez. In this episode, we see some of that paying off with some of their interactions. So we see things actually building. We see characters changing and focusing and becoming better or different people, even within the first three episodes of this season. Whether it be Martin Short's son coming in to play a little bit more in this episode and seeming more like a character instead of a two-dimensional sort of uh, person that we've met within this universe. Steve Martin definitely established more credibility as a human in this world. So did his girlfriend, Jane, is that her name? I'm not sure what it was, the oboe playing. Oboe playing is sexy. And this episode continues with amazing one-liners back and forth. I'm not going to try to recreate every one-liner that they that they do, but everybody, all three of these actors have excellent chemistry. I talked a lot about that in the in last week's podcast, but it's true, and it it's getting even better as the episodes go. Martin Short almost took a back seat in this episode to a certain extent, which I thought it was going to be a little bit more focused. And it's not that he took a back seat, but he showed a gear that he doesn't always have to be a scene stealer and a lot of this episode again was about everything the other things going around sting even played an excellent role in this episode in the acting standpoint there was a moment okay here we go i guess now i'll do it officially spoiler alerts spoiler alert for everything episode four Sting was really funny in this episode, in his appearances when he popped up on the screen. Uh, we had an extended scene with him. Also, Tina Fey was introduced in this particular episode, which was good to get another character and to keep up the focus of having some excellent casting on this show and having a really good pedigree going on with it. Here we go. Let's open up the live chat. Jesse says, this show is actually funny. The first two are decent so far. I'm glad that you're enjoying it a little bit. Uh, it does have a sense of a cheesiness to, to all of it. A sense of, I don't know how to explain it, but there is a lightheartedness to it. But there, it, it isn't weak. It isn't weak within that lightheartedness. Steve Martin, again, had some amazing one-liners in this episode that... that made me laugh still silly little things and I know it's not really important but the way the characters even do things like swear is amusing in the sense of this episode and in the sense of the the timing that all these characters go off of each other I would say the one piece of what I hope doesn't happen and and it didn't completely in this episode we did get some 
progression of an overall story arc of how do we get to the point where we see Mabel with another dead body. And in this episode, we get the stretch off to how do we get to the point where the Brazos murders, where we get on the Sarah Koning podcast. I love how they're insulting serial. It's, it's no, the spoofness in this series is strong and I appreciate it. And as time goes on, they're less trying to veil it. And in this episode, we see a Sarah Koning character. I forget what the actual character's name is, but it's not Sarah Koning. They, but they, Tina Fey's character plays the greatest podcaster of the world and the start of all this murder mystery stuff, which connects to the serial podcast thing. So I think it has, I think it is effective in a spoof environment, but Again, it's continuing to create those newer mysteries and newer things that set up every episode. What I don't want to happen, though, is it to fall into the trap where every episode is a is a red herring mystery that we're following and we only get a couple of litter clues for the overall mystery. I like how they seem to kind of put things on overdrive a little bit on this show. At the end of this episode, we got to the point where Mabel is outed to Steve Martin and Martin Short's characters. They know now that she knows Tim Kono and that she has a history with him. And that's what was awesome to bring the son in and make the son an integral part to the storyline instead of just having him be that outside force. When they mentioned he was a vet and they mentioned that he was looking after the dog, I thought that was just kind of a throwaway line, but it wasn't a throwaway line. It was a setup line. So at the end of the episode, when the sun shows up, we can be aware of what's going on. Now, these episodes air every Tuesday. I don't know if it's Monday at 12 midnight, but I don't know if it's Monday at 12 midnight Eastern or Pacific time. Usually when these things release, they release Pacific time, so it would be 3 in the morning Eastern time. I would have to double check. I wanted to stay up last night, but I puttered out early on. Is episode 4 already? I'll say I'll watch it and catch up, but I know there's a lot of things to catch up on. And yes, uh, just before we get into that, I did watch the first two episodes of The Expanse. I enjoyed it, and I will be watching the whole series. Uh, it's going to take me a little while to catch up with in it, especially while I'm moving and all that sort of stuff, but uh, but just to connect from last week's podcast when I got drunk in the afternoon, I did go into the other room and immediately watch the first two episodes of The Expanse and was highly entertained by it. So I will uh, definitely be checking out more. It is episode four. Each one's coming out on Tuesday. I kind of cheated in the sense that I did... Did I do it on Friday or was it Thursday? I forget. But I did the podcast last week a few days after the episodes had been released. So now I'm kind of doing it the actual day that the episode is released. Uh, it's As I mentioned, it's released 12 midnight on Tuesdays. So I woke up this morning and I immediately turned it on and I put my laundry in. This isn't going to be the longest of my kind of podcast. I'm talking about a 30-minute episode of something. So I feel like I don't want to go two hours to talk about a 30-minute episode. But we're going to break this episode apart, talk about it, get into it. And I'm going to try to make these live on Tuesday afternoons or Tuesday evenings. I may be joined by some guests along the way, as I mentioned before. My good buddy and uh, and podcasting partner in the olden days, King Baby Duck, Evan will be joining me for some of these, probably once I move and once I get into the new location for more of the back half of the season. 
back to what I was trying to say. I don't I don't want this show to become just give me the answer to the mystery that salivates itself the week before and not have anything lead into the next one, lead into the next one. Unfortunately, in this episode, they didn't do that. I didn't love how the sting mystery got set up at the end and it gets destroyed immediately in the first few minutes of the episode if or the first, the second half of the episode. I hope that theme doesn't continue and I want some th- mysteries to be stretched throughout the whole season and kind of get me into it. Uh, Deb, definitely check it out, especially if you're missing some of that Steve Martin-ness. And that was one of those things I'm kind of mentioning at the beginning, talking about this is Steve Martin's episode. This is the episode where I see more of actor Steve Martin that I feel like I haven't fully seen since Bullworth. He's all over the place. He's up. He's down. He's doing Steve Martinisms. He's saying the word fuck like in planes, trades, and automobiles. There's a few moments in this episode where he is seeing and talking to Bugs Bunny and Porky Pig in character costumes. It's a big part of the episode. And for a long time in the episode, I kind of thought that... Hmm. I kind of thought that we were just seeing that he was having delusions of some kind. But no, they set it up very... Very effectively later in the date segment that's set up when he's out on his date. And we get a couple of really amazing one-liners. And this is the kind of stuff, and I know Steve Martin doesn't write every piece of dialogue, but there's lines like this when we get into this kind of stuff that's very theatrical, Steve Martin, wordy comedy stuff. There's a whole thing about them delivering a turkey to Sting. And they're going to do it in the morning. And Steve Martin's like, yeah, no one delivers a turkey with bad intentions. You know, especially in the morning. We need to get a coffee. But there's a moment where the two of them are out on a date. Steve Martin and the bassoon player, sexy bassoon girl. And they're out. And she's telling him his whole her whole life. She's opening up, opening the vein, telling him all the sto- everything about her life. And then she turns to him and goes, hey, how about you? And he's like, oh, I don't know, everything's good. Life's good. Uh, my last relationship was perfect. Uh, everything in life is wonderful. And he's kind of holding it all in. And she's like, date over. <laughs> she, and it's just a funny moment of dialogue where she says, stories are transactional. When you put one out there, you expect one of equal or greater value in return. Otherwise, you just feel like you just got ripped off. And I love dialogue like that. Because when you're watching a television show, yes, you want realism. And we've we've gotten into this era of, even if it is a television show and it's some goofy stuff, we've gotten into a sense of a kind of television realism that always exists, right? That there is some element of, oh, that needs to really happen. You know, that we need to see this. But in movies, in television, in theater, and in, in, in any kind of visual entertainment... Part of what is awesome about it for me is escapism, is looking into something and knowing that I'm not watching a real thing, that I'm watching some sort of orchestration of some kind. And I like that aspect of the show that feels like I am watching a show. I'm watching a stage show of some kind, a visually depicted stage show with some fun, wordy comedy. And that's why I said 
last week talking about my excitement for the series is that extension of the Steve Martin and Martin Short stage show and their dynamic. And then they fit Selena Gomez into it in a way that really works. Her comedic timing bounces excellently with the two of them and individually with each of them. There's a section when they're talking about Sting and... And she's playing dumb in the moment of being like, "Who's Sting? Is that is that the guy from is that the guy from Genesis? Is that the guy that's saying uh, I can hear it coming in the dead of night?" They're like, "No, no, you're you're young. You don't know anything, Sting." And she's just messing with him the whole time. She's smiling, and then she turns and goes, "Oh yeah, the the, the sledgehammer guy." And she's like, "Shut up, guys. I know who goddamn Sting is." And then and then uh, Steve Martin has a point of dialogue. That's that's he's he sits on the couch next to Sting, and of course, I'm st- sitting too close to Sting. I don't mind, especially if I'm watching cheesy murder mystery comedy. I don't need it to be deadly serious. I don't need to. I don't need to watch all of my entertainment and be like, this could happen in real life. No, absolutely not. Part of what I enjoy watching about it is complete, utter fictitious ability of that being a reality in life. Absolutely, Merle. I've seen that you're finally watching Vikings. I feel like when I was watching it and talking about it towards the end of the series, people had lost out on it a little bit, you know, lost lost the focus on Vikings, but I'm glad that you are enjoying this season or the final seasons of Vikings. Ivar does grow into a very entertaining character for me, Uh, even though I don't think the show reaches the heights for me that it does in the Ragnar period. I do very much find enjoyment especially in the final couple of final season of vikings with ivar's performance i feel like he melted into it a little bit anyways so at this point i'm happy to hear you gave it a chance and you don't hate it already no i definitely definitely enjoyed what i saw that uh i'll mention i'll talk about that on a different podcast but i definitely enjoyed what i saw about it the thing i was fearful going in is i'm a simple creature even in my drama to a certain extent or sci-fi drama i need a little humor and I was kind of fearful I wouldn't get that on that show for some reason. And I very much gave it to me in droves. And I enjoyed what I watched so far. So I am excited to get back into it. I just have a lot of shows on my plate and getting ready to gear up for a move. So uh, it, it is definitely in my in my circle of shows I'm watching right now. So I, I'm going to catch up and hopefully be ca- caught up in time for whenever this there's one more season of it coming. Anyways, so you can tell if he's acting, trust me, Martin Short, lines like that, Jesse. And there's a moment in this episode when uh, he's on the date with his uh, with the bassoon girl and he is acting, obviously, and they show him overacting. And there's also a moment where he connects with Sting about being a uh, celebrity of some kind. And Worf says hello to all of you. So, again, really great episode, really fun, entertaining stuff, setting up more mysteries. At the end of this episode, we see some connection to the Hardy Boys stuff. But let's not waste any more time. Let me get into this thing and get into a... Recap! Okay, let's get into a recap of this particular episode. Last week... And thank you to, like, Newsweek or something for allowing me to just copy their damn recap and then watch the episode myself so I don't have to take damn notes. So here we go. Last week, we open up to someone checking a mic. Are we good? Off to Steve looking at pictures of the dead cat and a Valentine's Day cat from Lucy. We see a carrot and we look behind him. 
and we see Bugs Bunny behind him. Bugs Bunny and Porky Pig are standing behind Steve Martin in character costumes. Not cartoon versions of them. Them in actual character costumes standing up, biting a, biting a carrot. There's no lines of dialogue by them throughout this episode. They're just there standing, hovering over everyone. And, uh, and I have not watched that, Alex, but I have heard good things. And so we get a voice from the podcasting making a bigger mistake. We see Steve, Selena and Martin. Steve Martin gets a text saying they came for my family and it's Martin Short's character. Uh, we get a voiceover from the podcast. The po voice that we hear and that we heard in the last week's episode is Tina Fey. I don't know if it was completely clear last week that it was Tina Fey, but in this episode, we actually get to see her live and in person. And it's the podcast that gets everyone together, basically. So, uh, I like the intro. Keeps the energy up. Uh, and I like the visual intro. You can see it on the back of my screen here with the with the different color lines. Again, it gives it a color color. Form of color forms. Ooh, I want to play with some color forms. I want some mur only murders in the building color forms. That would be great. Those are one of those things that in my mind, when I think about things I liked when I was a kid, I forget about color forms. I never forget about the viewfinder things, you know, the, the, those, the circles that looked like the little discs you put in and you get, I think that's what they're called. Viewfinders or whatever they were called. You guys know the things I'm talking about. We can see the 3d images. Obviously, action figures, you know, all the different lines of action figures, GoBots, Transformers, Masks, uh, Thundercats, G.I. Joe, Ninja Turtles, you know, all those, the wrestling action figures and such. But it's, the color forms are something that I have definitely forgotten about through the his, through through time. And if I remember correctly, color forms were re-stickable stickers that pushed out a little bit and you get these weird backgrounds so you I remember having smurf ones and then you would set the smurfs up in different scenarios all on there and then you'd play with it almost similar to like I don't know whatever Viewmaster thank you Jesse thank you Jesse the freaking Viewmaster I get the no person talks like this in real life in a drama dramedy and so on but sitcoms and theater use a different language literally puts the acting over the top it's just different exactly Alex and I think Sometimes if someone doesn't like something, an easy way of kind of casting a dispersion of it is saying people don't talk like that. It's not real. But in a sitcom, it's more al along the lines of, for me anyways, like you're watching a stand-up comedian that you just don't like, but his jokes are funny to somebody else. Sitcoms are in some kind of theater. Some kind of theater is more dramatic, open-ending. You know, you can get more of a realism kind of thing going on. There's a whole age of theater that was like that, but... A lot of the best early television is just a representation of this enhanced real life kind of thing. This this magic kind of thing that you get in that some kind of dialogue with television and some kind of theater. And I think comic sitcoms are a big part of that. Everyone knows what to expect from a sitcom. Everyone knows what to expect from a 30-minute kind of comedy show. And with this thing, a murder mystery comedy show, you generally know what you're going to get every Every box, every every piece of chocolate in the box of chocolate you open up, you know what you're going to get in these episodes. So it becomes more about the clever ways in which they depict that. And do you like that free-flowness of it all? And I think we've lost that a little bit in television because of a good factor. You know, what The Sopranos and what Bre Breaking Bad then did in, 
and putting this influence on, I mean, there's a lot of other shows, The, the Wire, uh, uh, Oz, and uh, rest in peace to uh, to Omar from The Wire, Boardwalk Empire. What amazing, amazing actor. Uh but but uh, not not to get too too down that road. And I believe he might have even been on an episode of uh, episode of Oz as well. I I don't know. I'd have to check back. So many of the Wire actors were on episodes of Oz. But because of that influence of that style of television, and all of that, you kind of got away from an ability to have this sort of lighthearted escapism kind of television. And I appreciate it. I appreciate this show bringing that back to a certain extent. Yes, there's some depth. There's some episode-to-episode kind of carrying over storyline stuff and some darkness to this series. But for the most part, this feels like a series that could exist in many different eras. And I appreciate that. I very much... I gotta say, I wasn't a fan. I still am not of Shakespearean acting in movies and series, including Trek from the 90s. Uh... (laughs) But but you don't know you don't know Shakespeare till you hear it in the original Klingon. <laughs> but I enjoy sitcoms and uh, actually theater. Yeah, and musical theater that the bigness of musical theater I enjoy as well. And I feel like Steve Martin and Martin Short, even in the way they're acting in each scene, are bringing a lot of that into it. And then Selena Gomez. Again, I mentioned that I don't know a lot from her leading into this. I do know she has a Disney Channel background. So she's bringing a little bit of that Disney Channel-ness, but not, and I mean that in a good way, with a modern-day edge and a sensibility. She doesn't seem like a Disney character on the show. I just mean Disney Channel stuff has that sort of staginess, too. So she fits into the mix with these guys very, very well. So we pick up right where we're the wonderful, titillating, and terrifying cliffhanger of the third episode where we see Oliver, played by Martin Short, and Dog Winnie, Poisoned. The main suspect, Sting, the police frontman. A threatening note delivered asking him to end the podcast on Tim Kono. Then uh, we get Mabel, potentially one step closer to meeting Tim Kono's murderer. In episode three, Mabel found a note in Tim's belonging which read GM 131 at 430 Shore Road. She says, what the fuck? George Martin. What the fuck? Who the fuck is GM? And then she asks at the start of the episode... We see uh, episode four, we begin with good news that Oliver's dog, Winnie, has survived the poisoning. The bad news is not only does Oliver think uh, he's the leader of the group, he thinks that the musical superstar Sting was the attacker and is the person who left who left the threatening and the podcast note. Now, at first, our two other characters kind of poo-poo this and they go, it's not Sting, give me a break. But then it gets to a point where it kind of looks like it might be Sting. Somehow things are not looking like Sting is 100% innocent. As Sting has lost millions of dollars in result to mismanaged funds by his former investment firm, which happens to be the same firm that Tim Kono former, that formerly worked for. And as we heard in the last episode, lost one of his clients a large sum of money, and that's partially why he, why people were speculating that he might have killed himself. So could that big client be Sting? Is this all connected? We know this is episode four. It's not. But I like that they brought stuff from other episodes. 
my fear, as I mentioned, is that they're just going to bring an individual mystery in every week and then have it all just putter out eventually, no problem, and then have nothing be of any substance, essentially. But it doesn't seem like that's the case. It seems like they're actually making stuff stick from other episodes, and they this is a piece that connects from the other episode. So could Sting be a murderer? After some digging, Charles finds that he was also on Ursula, the, uh, the the building stupor's list of people in the building that was in the building on the night of Tim's murder. And on her list of people who stayed in the building during the fire alarm, we have our next OJ in Oliver's eyes, a hot Buddhist OJ, he cries. To be fair, Oliver Sting might just be their new, Sting is their new prime suspect. But instead of going to the police with their theories about Sting, Charles, Mabel, and Oliver head right to their true crime idol, Tina Fey, for the uh, the all is, o- all is not okay and okay, starring this whole thing. Uh, she tells them to, to do something off-putting to get in on Sting's good graces, basically. That's what you need to do to get celebrities to tell you what you want. You offer them a gift, you put them on edge, and how she did it with this mayor of a town... With the mayor of Easttown. No, she brings a uh, turkey. So Martin Short's character is like, well, should we bring a turkey? They're like, no, you do your own turkey. But essentially, they decide to bring a turkey anyway. And they also get the line, embrace the mess. That's where the magic lives, which I thought was a very good line in the episode. As Mabel and Oliver spend their evening trying to figure out how to best approach Sting, Charles heads on a date with Jan. Uh, the date was pretty intense, with Jan asking lots of questions about his childhood and his past relationship. Now, Charles Steve Martin's character does not take well and completely blows it. it. It's a funny scene where he just completely destroys the date. And that's what I mean when I said earlier that Steve Martin gets Steve Martin's stuff to do in this episode. As much as we've seen him up to this point have moments here and there, this is the first one that within his acting, I felt like I was watching old school Steve Martin at times. Just in his mannerisms, in his in his vocal cadence, he picked up his pace a little bit at times. So in his nervous energy, I liked a lot of what Steve Martin did. I don't know if it's him warming up to being on camera as much again in the sense or just the way that the character is developing and feeling more comfortable with himself uh, and where he started off in a very uptight state. I like the comedy and I like the dramatic approach by Steve Martin's character, Steve Martin, the actor and the character in this particular episode. Lando and Jitar not included in that 90s list. I love them. Joe knows what I'm talking about. I assume that's Babylon 5. I assume that's Babylon 5 stuff. Uh, so Mabel and Oliver spend their evening trying to figure out the following day. Charles messes up the date and eventually he uh, Charles does not take it. But this won't be the last to, that they see each other. At the end of the episode, he gets the guts up to say embrace the mess and he goes to her and bangs in the door and completely opens up to her. We might get into that a little bit more later, but tells her everything about what happens. We hear about his past situation, basically to just sum it up now and I'll yada yada it later. We find out that Steve Martin's character had met a girl. His last relationship lasted about six years or something that he think he said. Uh, He met her. They got involved. She had a daughter And it was one of those situations where he ended up connecting more with the daughter over the long term than with the romantic partner. And he lost that romantic romantic connection with his partner. Basically set up a last minute situation or a last hope scenario where he set up a big 
where she thought he set up some big romantic cruise for them to get away and taking ca- someone else taking care of the kid, but he didn't. He set it up as a big family vacation, and everyone was having and he was having a great time with the daughter on vacation, leaving the leaving his girlfriend on the pl- on the boat most of the time, and then she demanded that the little girl go on a day journey with her at one point in time, and they just disappeared. They took a flight back to back to New York, got their stuff, and moved out. Because they, because she thought her daughter needed a hard break to get away from Steve Martin's character, because he had so ingrained himself in that. And at the same time, he had also paid Bugs Bunny and Porky Pig character outfit characters to follow them around on the whole trip to make it more magical. So he's haunted by that. So he says that when he's in the hallway talking to Jan, he says, "And I'm haunted by Bugs Bunny and Porky Pig." Which gets a funny line from her later that says, if anyone's going to be in uh, animal character costumes, it's going to be you and me. So we know that Jan might be a furry. I like the way that Amy Ryan is playing this character. Kind of kind of wacky, kind of uh, over the top. Somebody that's almost like they're, and this is again a TV movie, musical, theatrical TV kind of thing. Where you meet somebody that is the perfect partner for our partner that we've met. This, she seems to have the same Steve Martin goofy energy. There's a moment where the two of them jam in this episode. Uh, in a Captain Picard, uh, when Captain Picard plays the, gets his girlfriend and they, they jam inside the Jeffrey's tube in Star Trek. It's, it's a very much a moment like that where they connect on so many different levels. And we see that this is actually the perfect partner for Steve Martin. So the following day, Charles Oliver and Mabel visit Sting. Uh, he's suspiciously leaving town the day bef- the next day. So they bring him a turkey for breakfast. Sting welcomes them in after some awkwardness about bringing the turkey in for breakfast. He apologizes to Oliver for being rude in the elevator about his dog before mit- admitting it is true. They kind of pressure him on it. He he has a big crying moment. Sting has a big crying moment where. Uh, where he's like, yes, I did it. I killed him. I killed him. And they're like, wait, wait, are you admitting it? You killed him? And no, he yelled at him in the hallways at, during during uh, a tough time. Oh, sorry, everyone. I'm having I'm having a camera camera issue. He yelled at him in the hallway and he told him to go kill himself. And he thought that he killed himself. And when finding out that he might have murdered himself, he, Sting jumps up and goes, oh my God, I'm so excited. I am so excited that he's murdered. It's amazing. This is wonderful. The best news ever that he was murdered because I thought I caused his death. And then he and then he goes, I'm inspired. I'm inspired. I'm going to, I'm, I'm totally inspired. I'm going to write a song. Let me write a song. Ah, oh, Tim Kono didn't kill himself. Oh, no, no. No, 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 no. It's something like that. I'm sorry for screaming there for a second. I'm getting excited talking about this Sting situation. And Sting kind of has this crazy moment where he plays the guitar and fake sings the song he writes about Tim Kono not being dead. And Martin Short turns to him and goes, not going to be on your greatest hits album. (laughs) It's just a funny moment. And I appreciate Sting having this cameo that was slightly bigger than just a normal cameo that a star could have. And I like that Sting showing he has a little bit of a sense of humor about himself and kind of taking a piss out of himself, writing a fake song. I'm a sucker for things like that. I'm a sucker for an, for musicians or serious actors being put in situations where they take pisses out of themselves for the for the for the uh, enjoyment's sake of me as an audience member. I appreciate that. Thank you, Sting, for taking this taking this thing. Dwarf Burger, I am with you on that. We got to get Joe, uh, 
<laughs> Joe on board. At points in time, Joe has believed that, but now it's just a big, uh, it's a big stubborn thing. <laughs> There's a wonderful video I wrote. I, I'm going to share at some point in time in the discussion I do about that, uh, where someone breaks. It's not so much about what's better, what's worse. It deals with all the criticisms that BAB5 fans have that say, oh, Deep Space Nine is just a copycat. Uh, and it kind of takes point for point in a way that I can't do because I haven't watched both shows. I So I'll try to share the video uh, with Joe at some point in time and try to maybe put out a Joe's reaction video to someone else's video on YouTube type thing. So. That just talks about how both shows are excellent, both shows have great stuff, but that whether it was the impetus of the idea, there's so much about what happened in the timetable worked out that it couldn't have necessarily been a one-for-one -one copy. But again, that's a different, that is a different discussion altogether, and I'm pissing off a lot of angry Babylon 5 fans right now. Okay, so uh, the whole situation with Sting ends, and they realize that Sting excuse me, is not the killer. Defeated by the end, they've reached. Mabel returns home to wallow in her failures. She comes across a Hardy Boys book titled The Shore Road Mystery. She frantically Googles the plot of the book with features a man named Guy Montrose, GM. Glancing at the note she found in Tim's apartment that reads GM 131 at 4.30 p.m. on Shore Road and then at the stack of the jewelry kept in Tim's apartment, she starts piecing everything together. I don't know what she's piecing together. Maybe that GM 131 Shore Road, uh, Guy Montrose, maybe it's a hint that Tim is leading her down a mystery that he was involved in some jewelry smuggling scheme or stealing jewelry or, or some sort of fake jewelry scheme of some sort and that a lot of the information is here on on shore road and on 131 and i believe that we saw that that's a couple days away so she's heading off to try to figure out the next part of this plan on shore road she searches guy montrose jewels and comes up with a store named montrose jewels located at 345 teenback road in new jersey now that's the question. Was Tim planning on stealing this jewelry and did someone set up and murder him in this situation? It possibly could be that. That could be something to do. But there is some association. Whereas, is Tim leaving her messages? Because he knows, knows that she was watching in the building and maybe knew that he was in some sort of trouble. So could he be kind of giving her, sending her on the Andy Dufresne kind of trip to try to solve all these mysteries right here? I don't know. Or is it just... Something far less innocuous. I don't know. What are we talking about? How has Joe grown up <laughs> and have big boy pants on? Okay, Tim, we gotta keep that. We gotta keep that in. Uh, when Joe is on the stream, we'll have we'll have you have that discussion with him. Once again, things come to a dramatic end in episode four. Uh, murders in the building. Charles and Oliver know that Mabel has a connection to Tim Kono. Thank you to Oliver's son, Will, who remembered her as a kid. He also spills to his father that Charles may have kept her or that Charles, she may have kept her friendship with Tim secret to avoid suspicion. And after their second friend, Zoe, died after falling from the roof a few years ago. So basically... The sun is an exposition dump for for our two, and I stress to say main characters because I think we have three. I definitely think we have. Th oh no, it's all disappearing. We have three main characters. Uh so 
I think it's fun that we did get an exposition info dump in this situation because I don't know if Mabel ever would have told them this information or this information would have been easily decipherable to them. So it makes sense that his son might have known them because he was probably at that party that they were having. And that's one of those interesting things that I think I read some people speculating about on after the first couple of episodes because we see that party which seems to have a lot of the kids that were from the building. So it would make sense that either Steve Martin's kid if that was who Steve Martin's kid was that disappeared, but it, it isn't, it's a different situation that we learned about. But if that was the case, I think a lot of people were gearing it towards that, not necessarily focusing on the fact that Martin Short's son might've been there because he was living in the building at the time. So I like that a lot. And I like that sort of connection again to another episode where we saw that party where that kid was probably at that party. That's why he views Mabel as bad news somehow. And I don't know if when he said that she's bad news, if he was referring to the girl that died or if he's referring to Mabel's bad news. But they did kind of have him say that she is bad news. And then Mabel is seen leaving the apartment block. She's being followed by the tie-dye guy. Now, the tie-dye guy is mentioned by, I forget if it's Steve Martin or Martin Short's character earlier in the episode about potentially being a suspect. Is it the tie-dye guy? Oh, forget about the tie-dye guy. I think it's Steve Martin. He's like, I don't want to forget about the tie-dye guy. It very easily could be him. So we're left at that point. And then we flash out at the end of the episode. In the episode's final moments, the series jumps forward again a few months around the time that when we would have seen uh, Mabel being discovered by Oliver and Brazos with the dead body in episode one. We started off with a few month flash flashback as well. So now we're flashing back again and we're seeing that's that was the character's name. Cinda Caning. Not clever spoofing of names, but I guess it's one of those things where you want to make sure you everybody knows that that uh, what's her name Caning from uh, the the serial podcast isn't as well known of a name right now in 2021 as she was in like 2019, 2018. So maybe they need to do that as a sort of reminder to people to go, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. What's her name from uh from serial? That's who they're making fun of here. Especially with the, she sells her whole business for $30 million. And there's a scene where we see Tina Fey, and she's like, yes, I just, yes, I just sold, uh, I just sold Wayne's World for $70 million. Yeah, that's what I did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just kind of a funny moment. So we see that she is doing the only murders in the building tr- true prompt true crime podcast she's setting it up for in a couple of months you will see the premiere of this thing and she's setting up this whole situation so telling this whole story as it if as if it is a story that is being told through the podcasting medium through her own through her own mouth so somehow through all of that maybe they're in jail maybe they sold their story to her maybe that's part of the whole thing about the 30 million dollars that we heard that number so we know later by the end of the series that once we get they get a complete story of this they go back to her and then they sell the story to her to deliver it that's what i bet that this part is i don't think any of our characters are dead or in jail or anything i think our final reveal at the end of the season will be them watching her recording the podcast or something i think it's going to or them being millionaires or owning the owning floors in the building or something i think that's going to be the decisive end to that particular part of this storyline that they just sell it to her and i think we set that up with her being sold to another company for $30 million to set up that this podcast was going to be sold to that company as well later with her delivering it in a more 
Because even this show, even me doing Phil the Issues Guy here, my own ridiculous babblery about different television shows, in this modern day age of podcasting, for the most part, you know, there are some exceptions, I would be a lot more successful of a podcaster if I said, if I said, you know, the hell with this. The hell with doing this myself. I need to hire an actor to be Phil the Issues Guy or to deliver the Phil the Issues Guy podcast. I don't know who I want to hire. I don't know. Uh, Tom Holland or something. I don't know. I'm not that he looks like me. I just mean some young, excitable kind of person that's that's relatively hot right now in the in the mainstream, but but not hot enough that I could actually probably afford him eventually. You know, or something like that. People, more people would watch this, even if the content was exactly the same. So, and that's just the age we live in in the kind of podcasting format that we've gotten into a point where podcasts, in some ways, aren't. What made podcasts great when they first started, at least in my mind, and this is as a listener, not as a podcaster, was the fact that you got unknown voices that were different than the normal extremes that you get on terrestrial radio or even satellite radio or or that you would get from like watching a normal talk show or listening to a normal person. Like those normal broadcasters, the people that were going to broadcasting school and hi everybody, this is the Phil the Issues Guy show and I'm here to broadcast to you. You know, broadcasting people, welcome to Connecticut School of Broadcasting. You know, that kind of broadcasting stuff, you didn't get that. It was an alternative to that. You know, now podcasting has more morphed into a way of people that have either lost jobs to be in in those industries to be able to do it themselves uh, or a celebrity and bring their core audience with that listen to them in terrestrial radio to just come and check them out even though they've sort of lost their you know lost their jobs and because of a lack of talent or something uh, or other folks that have or celebrities that are trying to just put their voice out in a different means to kind of make themselves relevant in a way or or kind of depict or make money or instead of people like me doing recaps of shows you have so many different cast members from the shows doing recaps themselves because why not would you rather listen to some idiot like me talk about the sopranos or would you rather listen to two of the guys from the sopranos talk about the sopranos most likely you would most people just checking things out for the first time would probably rather hear the actors talk about it than some john q nobody and this isn't sour grapes. I'm more just talking about it in the sense of the way that the dynamic of the industry works. So I like the appreciation that they show that at the end of all of this, where every time they've been putting out this podcast for weeks on the show and they're getting four views because they don't have a true celebrity. They have the Brazos, but Brazos is past it. So what they're doing is they're using both elements of the celebrity. They're taking uh, the host of the serial podcast here to be the host of it and using Brazos's fledgling popularity in the same way you know finding richard simmons podcast was and uh people that didn't watch that listen to that it's actually a fun podcast about but what happened to richard simmons that that set up like a true crime podcast very much oh tony tig and juice oh did tig and juice do a sons of anarchy podcast i might have to check that out I like, I like that. I'm not a fan of celebrity TV shows doing podcasts, but the shows like The Sopranos, the podcast with Bobby. Uh, I'm not a fan of celebrity TV shows doing podcasts about shows like The Sopranos podcast with Bobby and Chris or Tig and Juice or uh, that might, to me, for my money, the best one is the Scrubs podcast with Donald Faison and Zach Braff. Just because 
it's more of a normal podcast. Half of it they're talking about like Star Wars stuff, anyways. And they and there's the small the Scrubs episode discussion is such a small part of what they do in the show. Uh, there's also the the Office ladies. I think Adriana does a, does a podcast. There's a Glee one that Artie and Tina from Glee do the Glee podcast. Pretty much every show that existed in the 90s and early 2000s has a couple of the cast members doing a podcast. And holy shit, is that Cody Pajamas? Oh my god. Even at 12 noon in the afternoon where I am, I get excited to see Mr. Tony Pajamas in the live chat. Great to see uh, yours is the only one. Oh, you guys are sweet. You guys are amazing. Nice to see you in the light of the day. Thanks for the entertainment and stream. Thank you for checking this out. I know this is not a normal time. I might start having these podcasts, these uh, t- these uh, mur- mur- Only Murders in the Building podcasts start living on Tuesday afternoons right here. Uh, as I said, either Tuesday afternoons or Tuesday evenings, I will be doing it either alone or possibly, as I mentioned, with my good buddy, King Baby Duck, Evan from the Boston Bastard Brigade. If you're a fan of anime and you're not subscribed to the No Borders, No Race podcast, or you're not listening or reading some of uh, Evan's uh, stories that he writes, he's he's a journalist in the true sense of the journalist, but he also does podcasts and stuff and, and uh, both music-oriented podcasts and... Excuse me. Yeah, oh, good. The cough button worked there for a burp. Uh, he's uh, it, But he does some video game coverage as well. He's probably one of the best writers I know in the sense of like reviewing something, giving you a real, real open kind of excitable stuff that you can read right through his lines. But uh, Evan is a huge anime guy and we've been looking for a show to meet up on because I'm so bullish with anime. Uh, so uh, he saw that I was reviewing this and watched watched last week's episode and messaged me. He goes, I'm watching that show too. We should talk about it. So I'm going to have him on. As I mentioned, probably once I move, I'm going to be moving, moving starting on the 26th will be my first day at the new place. So uh, that following week's podcast will be at the new place. And I might miss one on what is the 21st or the 20th, depending on what date that is. Not next week, but the week after might be a week off while I'm getting all my moving stuff taken care of. But other than that, I'll be here for every single episode of Murders in the Building. Hopefully try to make this an afternoon thing because... I know maybe maybe we don't get as much craziness going on in the live chat all the time or all that sort of stuff. But I do know there's so many people that can only check out certain times of day. I know we have people all over the world watching at different places. So I like being able to do stuff in some odd hours. So it's good to do an afternoon one. It's been a while, except for these last two weeks. I used to occasionally pop out in the afternoon, but... Also, where I live, there's a gentleman that's, uh, that actually does check out the Showtime. He's a, he's a great guy. He checks out our Sopranos casts. Uh, but I feel bad because he's working downstairs. So I feel bad jumping up and down. Ah! Going like crazy. Oh, I'm so excited. You know, doing like crazy stuff uh, while, while someone's working downstairs. So I tend to not do stuff during the day. And this apartment is hotter than a frying pan's asshole. I don't, I don't know. It's, it's super hot in here. So during the day, it gets gets kind of... But now that we're getting back to the cooler fall and stuff. But uh, but yeah, so starting a couple of weeks, I'll be living in a new place where I can definitely cast easier during daytime hours. So I think around now is going to be when this is going to live, but it will live on Tuesdays. Maybe Monday nights at midnight if, if I'm staying up late. But make sure if you enjoy these kind of discussions about this show, you make sure you subscribe and follow the channel. 
as I've noted, and a lot of YouTube people talk about this with these live streams, and you guys are the guys watching, so I'm not necessarily talking to you guys that are watching live because you obviously got a notification that I went live. Those of you that might be checking this out at a later date, and you're like, Phil, we love you. We like what you do. Phil, we hate you. We want to hate watch you. Either one. That's not important. But we don't get notified when you go live. The only thing I can ask say to you is, I know now that only 20% of the people that are subscribed to the channel are actually signed up for notifications. So if you are subscribed and you're like, I haven't heard a live thing from you, make sure you go to my page, unsubscribe, subscribe again, and then hit that notification bell. And I've heard from a few people, YouTube is starting to notify people again. If you if you hit that follow, maybe they figured out their nonsense. And and if you make sure you hit that all notif all follow, all notifications, so you'll be alerted whenever we go live here. Uh, but for right now, if you need to know the times and dates generally, it will be Tuesdays and Sundays will be the two days that we're live here on this channel as of right now. And then eventually... Eventually, once this show is over, Matt will probably be back from the injured reserve list and we'll take over on Tuesday evenings with our Soprano casts again. And uh, Wednesday, and Sundays are just going to live. Now Joe has his weekends off completely. We're just going to keep the Sunday night thing going for as long as we can, even when we run out of stuff to talk about. Like when we run out of uh, Walking Dead episodes, we'll come up with some fun topics to do that will be a lot more fun to talk about on a Sunday the walking dead and as i mentioned joe's gonna live real close to me so we're gonna have him come by and do some live watches and such as well i haven't watched death note i will try to check that out we didn't have time for it when when it aired we only started with season five but then we went all the way back speaking of the podcast the expanse the expanse guys ty and the guy have a podcast here and on youtube and they went all the way back to season one Ooh. phil lives on tuesdays i do i'll be living on tuesdays from now on so you guys have been awesome as i mentioned this I'm, I want to keep, and this is tough for me. It's really tough for me to not, because now I've talked about the episode. It's done, and, I, and I'm usually on here for like two plus hours or something like that when I go into a battle, for sure, at least an hour and a half. But I'm going to try to keep this to around an hour, because I don't want to have a podcast talking about a half an hour episode that's two hours. Not that it matters, but... You know, I'm going to start to wrap this up in a second here and keep these keep these for the most part pretty short until we start getting some real information. But who killed Tim Kono? Who are our top suspects? As of right now, Mabel's a suspect, but I don't really think Mabel's a suspect. I think we're going to be set up in a lot of ways for our three main characters to be set up as possible suspects, but I think it's too obvious for any of the three of them to actually be the killer. And if one of them is the killer, it's Steve Martin or Martin Short. I don't think it's Selena Gomez's character. That's just my impression going into it. I think our number one, our number one, number one pick for possible the murderer at this point is the tie-dye guy. Steve Martin mentioned him as a possible thing, even though they both poo-pooed him. We see him at the end of the episode following Selena Gomez, and yeah, there is something to be said about tie-dye guy. That being said, the way this ep these series has set up in these first four, four episodes, it's not. It's something that we're that's good. I have to believe there's something going like right in front of our eyes right now that at the end of all of this, we're going to go, oh, oh, so I'm trying to figure out what that is. And I don't think it's the obvious thing that we're going to get as the cliffhanger going into every episode. I think that is the distraction. The distraction is what we get at the end of the, each one of these episodes to take you off the case, put you in the, show you the ups and downs of being on a hunt and being in a 
on a true crime murder investigation. The, the rises and the falls. They're trying to replicate, like when you're watching something like Making the Murderer or watching the, the serial podcast, seeing how that feels. So right now, where are we in this? How does this feel? I don't know. I think we've seen clues on who this is so far. We just don't know it yet. We just don't know that they are the clues. But in our final episode, we're going to get one of those knives out moments where we look at everything and have this happened here and this happened time A and equals slot B. We're going to see something like that, I believe. So I'm hopeful for it. I'm hopeful for another great episode in episode five. And I hope this series keeps up this energy. As I mentioned all the time with series like these, these this is a guilty pleasure love for me kind of series. It's hard to recommend as a general audience in the sense that you might not be into the comedy tone of it. You might not be into some of the murder mystery aspects and it might be too rudimentary if you're into more deeper kind of what if stuff. You might be insulted by the way that they make fun of true crime podcasts. Who knows? I don't know if this is going to be for you until you start to watch it. I can say that this is a series for me. It's hitting all those points. It's giving me what I missed from Steve Martin for years. It's giving me interesting writing, uh, punchy, fun dialogue, especially coming off watching The Walking Dead each week, which has dead on arrival dialogue right now. I feel like this is like a vital dialogue going on that I enjoy in the sense of like a David Mamet freaking play or that wordy kind of 90s comic timing wordy comedy that doesn't exist as much anymore you see it sometimes but it was so much an evident part of the of the sitcom era of the time whether it was shows like friends or seinfeld or whatever or uh or frazier uh not so much cheers but frazier where you just have this like sort of wordy almost almost back in the day of like screwball comedy kind of energy to it all where you have this like this funny dialogue bouncing off of each other and and I love that it brings that back for my entertainment level. We're past the point where we need laugh tracks and shit like that. But there could be in this show, in the way that these jokes are set up in some ways. They're, they're straight up comic home run jokes. And I'm invested in the mystery. So another great episode. I would say this was my favorite of the episodes so far. So I'm not, I don't know, do ranking systems here usually. And if I do, it's ridiculous. So what are you still side boobs since since with uh with Mabel we saw side boob or uh or, or Martin bums or something I will give this episode I'll give the most recent episode the 10 out of 10 or 9 out of 10 for the show and remember these rankings are based around the show itself not based comparatively to other things I only rank shows and in my review score I set out in my mind what I think the episode was trying to do and how successful is it in what it's trying to do. Not comparing this to an episode of Breaking Bad to Ozymandias or something like that and say, I gave Ozymandias a 10, this is a 9. Oh, this is only one point behind? No. Compared to other episodes of the season where episode 1, I think I would have given like an 8. Episode 2, I would have given like another 8 and maybe episode 3 a seven and a half or something. I don't know. Or maybe, maybe an eight and a half or whatever. I, I have to rewatch them. This episode is a solid nine for me. There were a couple of moments where I was like, okay, I'm going to move on from this a little bit. But for the most part, I think it perfectly achieved what it was trying to do. Hello, Phil, stop saying you're going to wrap it up because you never do. I'm actually wrapping it up this time, Tib. I got I got laundry in the dryer. I got to switch and I have to go take a ride and go pick up some hippie activities. So I am motivated to go right now. What we do in the shadows is an underrated comedy. Never trust 
that never trust them tie-dye hippies. It's true. They're messy. I've learned the hard way in my life. Never trust the fake nice hippies because they tell you one thing to your face. They pretend to be nice. And really, they're just smack-talking, two-faced losers behind your back. And I speak from experience because people meet me and they greet me and they think I'm one of the hippie folks. But, you know, some people, they don't want to be faced with their own lies. And a lot of people are so trapped in that hippie culture. Dude, I'm listening to the dead man. The dead. You don't understand. They don't want to be faced with the reality of their own actions in their lives. And they build up fake facades of niceness. And if you chip away that niceness a little bit, you see really, really selfish, cold, lonely, sad people. And that's when I think about deadheads. <laughs> More like dead hearts. Everybody, thank you so much for checking this out. You guys have been amazing. <laughs> Love you guys. I'll be back. My next time you'll see me live on anything is tomorrow night. I'll be on Teflon TV with Tony Teflon and possibly another guest. We'll see talking about our what-if scenarios for Game of Thrones stuff. We talking about what if Carl Drogo never died? How would the story go a little different? So we're going to break that apart. Very free-form discussion. We'll be on at about, I think it's 6.20 on Teflon TV. Make sure you check that out if you are interested in those kind of discussions. Uh, Tony and I, again, might be joined by a guest, but Tony will definitely be then. And then, next time after that, will be Sunday evening, 10.35 p.m., myself and Joe Dirty Locks talking about The Walking Dead. We'll see if Joe makes it through. He almost had a heart attack in the last episode from boredom. We'll see if we make it through, but at least we'll have some drinks. You guys have been awesome this afternoon. Thank you guys for checking on in with me and watching this show. And I know this is a new show we're talking about here. It's always hard to break into that. So if you can, if you enjoyed this discussion, if you enjoyed this show, help share this video. Help pass it around. Pass it around like a dirty, dirty uh, something. Like, like a dirty magazine. Do people still look at dirty magazines? How do dirty magazines still a business when you equate the internet and everyone has the phone? Are they still a business? Like, do people still get it? Is that just an age? Is that just a generation that needs to get over it eventually? And once they die out, no one's going to get magazines? I don't know. It's an interesting mystery. And maybe it'll be season two of Only Murders in the Building. <laughs>